You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hello, friends here in person. My name is Bill White. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. And it's great to be with you. Uh, Our vision is that we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And I was thinking about that, this song, this, you know, we're going to live like the kingdom has come, like you've already won. And it's this, this picture of the renewal of all things. That's a quote from Jesus in, in uh, the book of Matthew, where he says like, hey, everything is going to be renewed. And it's this picture of heaven, right? And I was just thinking a little bit about today and, and realizing that we kind of get this mixed up view of heaven. A lot of times, at least I was brought up thinking heaven is where you go when, when you die. The, the Bible has a different picture in the book of revelation. It has this great picture of heaven. And this is the last book in the Bible. Heaven actually invades earth. And that's when all things are made right. So it's not somewhere else we go to, it's that it actually comes here. And so we get to participate now with Jesus in the renewal of all things, in bringing heaven to earth. And that's what we are as a church. We're trying to be a part of what Jesus is doing here in this world. So that's kind of what we're all about. And one of the things that's really important to us in that process is to make sure that our kiddos know that they are loved and blessed. And so Brenna Rubio, come on down, Brenna Rubio. I think you're, you have, she, she has some plan to, to make this happen uh, because we're not sending our kids out today like we often do, but they get to stay with us in service. So you are staying, am I on? Not Can yet. Testing, testing. Are you? You are. There you go. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, hi, kids. Yeah, so you're staying with us today, and we are glad to have you with us, and you are going to help us kick things off with a game. So if you are here and you are a child, you're going to come and sit right here on the steps if you would like to, to help us play our game with the added benefit of some of you I know are in costume, and we get to see your cool costumes. Okay. All right. Would you guys welcome our kids up? All right. And yeah, Bill is, that is, Bill is in a good spot because Bill is a player in our game today too. I have some cards that Bill has not seen. He does not know what are on my cards. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to hand him a card one at a time and they're going to say who he is. It's going to be a thing. And we're actually even just going to give Bill a little bit of a clue. We're going to tell him, is this thing living or non-living? All right. And then he's going to ask some questions. All you guys can say is yes or no. Okay. Don't tell him anything else. Because the thing is, Bill's really competitive. And he really (laughs) wants to win this game. Hello. Do you want Bill to win or do you want to win? You want to win. All right. Okay. So don't say what the thing is. Some of you are going to be really tempted. You're going to see the thing and you're going to want to like say, Ooh, ooh, I know what it is and say it out loud. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So, so Bill's going to show you, he's going to kind of bounce it out of his hat and he's going to ask us questions. And all you can say is yes or no. All right. So here's your first thing. All right. This is, and Bill, here's our one clue we're going to give you. This is a living thing. We may have pictures up here as well if you can't see it. But Bill's not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Is it a galaxy? 
Um, is it a, a superhero? No. Uh, can you give me a hint? No. It, no. Oh. But Bill, you can ask I, things like, is it oh, an sorry, animal? Can't look. You can oh, is it an like, animal? Is it an animal? Oh, oh. it's an elephant. No. no. It's a zebra. Have you ever seen those? It's like a combination of a zebra and a giraffe. What's what? What? What's that? Oh, you're saying it's oh, a jersey. Oh, okay, oh, you a it's, a, huh, it's an animal. So it could be, is it Mickey Mantle? No. No. Okay. Oh. Uh, he only got five questions. I think he hit his five questions to you. Tell him, but tell Bill what he is. He got nowhere close. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, there you go. All, All right. right. All right. Okay. So that was, so far, you guys have won, and Bill is zero. All right. Let's see. Five guesses to get some random five thing. Five guesses. And Bill, remember, but they're not just guesses. You can ask questions. Oh, I can ask questions? You can ask questions. I, I've never been good at that. <laughs> I'm like, I speak for God. I don't need you to can, ask any questions. I know everything. Ask, ask questions first. I want to help you out here. Okay, so the one hint we're going to give him to start on this one oh, is that I this is a it's a non-living thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Is it made out of air? No. It is nothing. It's just minerals. Oh, okay. It's, it's, oh, right. it's just minerals. No, no. I think. Oh, that was air. something else. Okay. Okay. Let me ask. Is it? Is it bigger than an earthquake? Okay. That's two. That's two. Okay. two. Yeah, I mean, what did that question even <laughs> mean? You. I'm with All right, you. Uh, uh, I know what it's a. It's a. Uh, it's one of those double-decker box buses in England that are red. No. No. Oh, I'm going to ask. No I'm going to ask a question. You, you've only got question. two more. Make I, know, good. I know. I know. Okay. Is it? Is it like? Is it yellow? No. Uh. Okay, I, I, it doesn't I, help this, at all. This You're right. <laughs> uh, is is it a uh, is it a mountain? No. no. Oh my goodness. Okay. What was How it, guys? A nail. A nail. Uh, yeah, I didn't do so well. Okay. Yeah, Bill was struggling a little bit, huh? <laughs> Your turn. Okay. Maybe we'll play that game um, later. But did you guys notice a problem that I noticed Bill having? Was that he kept making really big wild guesses? Right? I don't know. Maybe he could have stuck to the hint. That would have helped, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It might have helped him out a little bit. I, I just noticed too, he just, just kept, he wanted to guess big things all the time. He was just constantly going in this, like, it's an elephant. It's a, an earthquake. I don't know where that one came from, right? <laughs> um, I wonder what would have helped if he had stuck a little smaller, or even asked, is this thing big or is it little? The story. The, the conversation that we're actually going to be having today while well, you guys get to do some crafts, but I know you might be listening in a little bit too, is how back when Jesus was alive and walking around among us, that was actually one of the problems that a lot of people had with Jesus because they were always playing this guessing game too. Who is this person? Is he this prophet? Is he that prophet? They always wanted to make Jesus really big. Like maybe he's a conquering king, someone big and fancy and powerful. And Jesus was go around doing simple things like eating with people and making sure they had enough food to eat and, and healing people and riding donkeys instead of big fancy chariots, right? That's who Jesus was. He was small and simple. And so it confused people and they had trouble guessing who he was. That's how it happens sometimes, right? But it's kind of nice to know that Jesus is actually, it helps us when we go like, yeah, Jesus was living. That's a good thing to know. 
Jesus was just like us. He walked around. Jesus was small. He wasn't big and fancy, which means he understands the things that we go through every day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are, because you're small. Jesus was small like you. He was a kid just like you. So I'm going to get out some crafts that you guys can pick. You can take one of them to start and come back for more. You can grab some of each, but you guys are going to take this back and sit with your families, okay? So have fun. Thank you so much for playing our game. Can you guys give the kids a, a hand? We've got some sticker options, some mask options. Very, very fun. Okay, yeah, I'm, I forgot about the whole asking questions thing. Was... <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. It does help. Bill, do you want to invite our scripture reader up for us? Yeah. So, Nicole Marktrow, if you would uh, come on up, if you'd welcome Nicole, she's going to read our scripture for us today. Uh, Nicole's hey, also Nicole. one of our board members. Nicole's amazing. Here you go, Nicole. Uh, and typically, we stand in honor of God and God's word. Uh, He, Jesus, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Hebrews 5.2. Yeah, people of God, this is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Thanks Nicole. Um, so we're in a series in the book of Hebrews right now. Now we're in chapter 5, which is about gentle Jesus. And this Jesus deals gently with us because he understands our weakness. The challenge is, is that's not often the Jesus that our world presents. Uh, and it's not often even sometimes the Jesus our churches present. Uh, Russell Moore, who is the head of the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time, um, he had multiple pastors come and, and talk to him that they would preach from one of Jesus's most famous sermons about, uh, you know, turning the other cheek and loving your enemies. And the congregations would, the, the, literally people in the congregations would confront the pastor at the end of the sermon and say, you're wrong. That that's not, that's not what Jesus is like. And, and they would show him in the Bible like, no, this is what he said. And they're like, no, that's not Jesus. Jesus is, is big and strong. And that, and that this is sort of part of this, this culture um, that's really common today. There's a, a book called Jesus and John Wayne, which sort of took the world by storm here a little, little ways ago, maybe four or five years ago, um, by Kristen uh, Cobus Dumay. And she, I mean, it's, if you want to read it, you can. It's really long and really detailed, and it sort of exposes kind of the history that a lot of uh, white evangelical churches have with what she calls toxic masculinity. This idea that, uh, and I'll, I'll quote her, she says that Jesus is a conquering warrior, a man's man who takes no prisoners and wages holy war. How about that? How about that, Jesus? And she, she tracks through the history of white evangelicalism and shows that, that this is actually part of our culture. And it's not just, um, it's not just white evangelical churches. It's, it's this culture around 
um, this hyper-masculine Jesus. And it has to do with a lot of the media and movies and conventions and books that really have influenced a lot of Protestant Christianity. Um, she points out, statistically speaking, all right, so when you do the surveys across American culture, that it's this culture, particularly white evangelicals, who disproportionately, more than any other religious group, support preemptive war. So we should start a war before they do to get them first. Um, that condones the use of torture, that believes in the death penalty, that owns a gun, that's opposed to immigration, that has the worst, uh, the worst feelings towards immigrants. Like this is consistent, like across the board, study after study shows that this is the, this is the culture. It's this toxic masculinity. It's super damaging. It's not this Jesus who understands weaknesses and deals with this gently as Hebrews 5, chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2 says. So um, Howard Thurman, who was one of the great leaders of the American church in the 50s, really started the first ever um, multi-ethnic, intentionally multi-ethnic church in, up in San Francisco. Um, he writes this. He was sort of a mentor for, uh, for Dr. King and the whole civil rights movement. But he writes this. A religion that was born of a people acquainted with persecution and suffering has become the cornerstone of a civilization and of nations whose very position in modern life has too often been secured by a ruthless use of power applied to weak and defenseless peoples. We've actually flipped it all on its head. Mm -hmm. We've turned Jesus upside down, and he is, in some ways, barely recognizable. And it matters, right? It actually matters for, for all of us. Who is this Jesus? Does he have any relevance to the great big global and national issues that we're hearing about all the time? Does he have any real relevance to the small and simple issues that we're facing all the time, whether it's, you know, hurtful, disparaging comments that we hear in the workplace, and we're thinking, what do I do with that? Or, or things that happen in our homes with our roommates or our kids, and how do I speak into that in ways that are healthy and redeeming? Does Jesus have any relevance for this? Is it all about how we power up? Or does gentle Jesus have something to say? Actually, I had a friend who reached out in the last couple of weeks from here around City Church, and I know Bill has gotten similar um, calls, and probably all, many of us, have had these conversations come up. But this friend reached out by text, just say, Brenna, I'm, I'm struggling. There's just too much happening. It's just too much all of the news, war and genocide and hate crimes, and it's just too much. What do you do? What do I do 
how do we walk through this? As Bill and I lean in today, and we're gonna to touch on some of these things, the actual things that we're hearing in the news about war and genocide, racism, as well as the things that happen in our everyday lives, in our work break rooms and in our homes. We're saying up front, we are not public policy experts, right? You all didn't come here for that this morning, right? We're, we're not claiming we have any of the answers. We're not telling you how to vote. We are telling you that our, we think our faith should have some real things to say about public policy about how we vote, about how we approach the world and its biggest as well as its smallest problems as followers of Jesus. We also wanna acknowledge starting out that even as we say, hey, this is a big deal, this matters, when we start trying to cast Jesus as John Wayne, Jesus as a cowboy, Jesus as Mel Gibson in Braveheart. That was the big one when I was in college. That was what a Christian man looked like, Braveheart. Um, that matters, but, but the reality is we are all always at risk of oversimplifying Jesus, making him in our image, making him what we want and need him to be in a particular time and place. I, I forgot to bring it this morning, but I have a piece of, of art. I mean, it's, it's really just a bag, but in my house, a bag can be art. Um, <laughs> And so it's hanging on my wall and it's it's this awesome picture from the cartoonist naked pastor of Jesus flipping the tables. Right, because I want a Jesus who overturns the tables of oppression. And that is a real part of who Jesus is. I absolutely believe that I also need to be humble enough to acknowledge that was one story and you know what Jesus usually did at tables. He sat down at them and he broke bread, especially with the people who were oppressed. Most of the time, his advocacy was not the flipping tables kind, it was the gentle kind. It was the kind of just said, I'm going to sit here and be with you. And that act in and of itself was actually radical. It actually really bothered the people in power. And there was a reason because it mattered. That solidarity with was a real and powerful thing. So I too have to check myself. How do I oversimplify Jesus? Radical Jesus was also gentle Jesus. And that's who we're talking about today. Yeah, and so the, the scripture says leading into chapter 5 in, in chapter 4, it's, it's talking about Jesus as this high priest, the, the, the one who intercedes between us and God and who gets us. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Right? Jesus is not unable to empathize. He, he, he gets us, and he, he gets how painful it is to be you. And you're, he, he understands your story matters. And particularly, he always, I mean, virtually all the tables that Jesus sits at 
are the tables with people who are poor. Mm -hmm. And even when he sits at the tables of the wealthy, what ends up happening is the poor come and sit with him, and it makes the wealthy really uncomfortable. Because he gets their weakness. And so they feel really safe near Jesus. And for Jesus, it's not, there's, there's a huge difference between pity and empathy, right? Huge difference. So uh, one of our people who sort of has coached us by writing and, and uh, this woman named Amy Kenny. Uh, she wrote a book, My Body's Not a Prayer Request. We did a couple book studies around disability theology. And she writes this. She says, pity always reinforces a power structure. Right? Like, oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, you're whatever you are. Like that, that's not the way of Jesus. Because all that does is that makes me better than you. Mm -hmm. Right? Jesus actually just sits at the table. And Jesus receives from all kinds of people. They didn't care who they are. They love him. They feed him. They wash his feet with their tears. They share their stories. He shares his stories. It's this beautiful picture of solidarity that Jesus has. And that's, that's this idea of a Savior who suffers, not one who powers up, and says, I'm going to take control to fix things. Mm -hmm. not, not a warrior savior, but a savior who, who eats with us, who tells stories and listens to stories, who touches and cares. Yeah, I think that's why the passage goes on to say, given this is the kind of Jesus we have, we approach with confidence. We expect to find grace and mercy in our times of need. All of this reminds me of, um, so many of you probably know, but over the past few years, we've been really just so grateful uh, to be able to, as a church, get more involved in the area of, of homelessness and families who are, who are struggling with um, sometimes temporary housing instability and trying to figure out how could we help and partner with organizations who are great at helping families find housing stability. Again, moving out of that situation back into a better spot. And so with that, you know, we've been able to partner with our friends over here at Wrigley Coffee, who do a jobs training program, and also with Family Promise of the South Bay, with our community house, uh, where at any time there might be anywhere from one to three families living and going through a program um, as they get back on their feet and find stability again. Well, one of the things that's been so cool as we've leaned into this area is how many people who have volunteered, who've asked to be part of this program, everything from its earliest stages, like when we were looking for what house would be right, right? Like what would the families need to feel comfortable and safe and you know secure so that in the midst of all the other hard things, at least home would be a safe and a welcoming place. So all, all the way from those early days to even now, just being able to make connections, help take meals over occasionally, help with job opportunities, um, just honestly, sometimes just being a friend. Well, what's been so amazing to see is how many people around City Church have asked to be part of that program who 
maybe it doesn't come out in a casual conversation standing on the patio before service, but as you connect with them over coffee or over a meal, they share, yeah, there was this time when I was a kid and my family lived in a car for a season together. I know what it was like. There was a time when I was a kid and you know, my, my family went through a rough patch and, and our pastor opened his home and we lived with him for a season. And there was a time when I was a kid and something happened with my parents' job and, and different family members. We just had to shift from house to house. And these people want to be involved, not like Bill was saying, out of a sense of pity, but out of that lived experience that says, I remember what it was like. I remember the people who helped us, who walked alongside us, or I remember the people who didn't. And either way, I want to be some of the people showing you that there is hope. You're not alone. You're not broken. You're not damaged. This isn't the end. It gets better. And I want to be part of that. I want to live out um, what I received or better than I received back when my family experienced that. And it's such a picture of how Jesus operated because Jesus was not one of the powerful ones. He was, a, he was a carpenter. He was an oppressed person living in, in an era of empire. That was his daily reality. And he lived and he loved from that daily reality. So how does that change how we lean in to all these situations around us where there is one side of the story, one narrative that says it's all about power. It's all about correcting these people or, man, I'll tell you, and I know it's complicated, but just as an example, there's a park across the house from my street. And just a couple of days ago, I realized that the the area that had a covering and picnic tables, they've just enclosed it with bars. And even my eight-year-olds know why. It's to make sure our homeless neighbors don't go there to sleep. That's one approach. I don't know that that's the approach of gentle Jesus who identifies and fully understands what it's like not to have a roof over your head, who knows what it is to feel powerless. And he is with those who are thirsty and running out of water. He's been there with those who are hurting and even dying. He's been there too. This is the gentle Jesus we follow. So the, uh, the passage that we read today says that he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is what Jesus does. He, he knows that we're messy people. And so he deals with us gently. And, you know, in a world where uh, 
Well, and, and in, I mean, think about Jesus's world. There were the, the modern day equivalent of, you know, the, the tanks and the, the military might was on behalf of the empire, right? That, that Jesus lived in. They were called chariots, right? And they, they had armies and they had vastly superior firepower, this sort of thing. Jesus lived in, in, in this world, right? And he's speaking to this kind of world, the kind of world we read about in the news today. And in, in the big conflicts and in, in the silent conflicts, we don't even hear about like the war in Sudan, right? Where, where is that? That's become invisible now. But Jesus understands and his approach is to deal gently. It, it's so radical. And it, it's really gotten me thinking, like, what, what can I do? What does it look like in, in my world? And that's, that's a question that I have to ask. What do I do with my money and my time and my energy? And how do I respond to the people in my life? How do I vote, obviously, is, is definitely a big piece of it. But I, I heard a story from, from one of our leaders, um, and I wanted to share. Uh, so this is, this is Megan Williams and Ford Williams. Ford is also one of our leaders, more of an up-and-coming leader, you might say. Um, and Megan told me this story on the phone recently, and it was hilarious, and it was just so perfect. But it was this picture of this is what it looks like to understand weakness and to shift the direction of the world, one conversation, one parenting moment, one expenditure, one job decision at a time. This is what it actually looks like. So at the end of a long day, Ford runs up to mom who is on the couch and says, Mom, I want to do this. Mom, I want to do that. Mom, can you help me with this? I, Mom, I need this. And this strings off like eight things that Ford <laughs> wants and needs at that moment. And <laughs> Megan, super exhausted, she says, yes, son, just give me a minute first. I'm really tired. And Ford, you can tell Ford's been raised by a therapist. Um, Ford responds, <laughs> so mom, do I have too many needs? <laughs> That classic line from your five-year-old. So, Mom, do I have too many needs? And Megan is so grateful, right, that, that her son just asked this question. And she said, she stops. She looks him in the face, right? She takes that moment. And she says, no, son, you don't. My tiredness is a me thing. It's not about you. I'm so glad you've learned how to ask for what you need and what you want. And Ford's like, oh, great. And then he runs out to play. <laughs> right, totally regulated, totally fine. Like, he's fine. And Megan, you know, had a chance to compose herself for a few minutes and then go out and play with her boy. But this is what it looks like, right? N notice Megan is in touch with her needs, and that makes her a lot better to be in touch with Ford's needs. And by owning that, naming that, Ford realizes, oh, I have needs. They're fine. Mom has needs. That's fine. We can go and we can be family together. 
We don't have to yell or banish someone or say someone's good or someone's bad. We don't have to split them into those two categories. No, they're human. And this is what Jesus does. He can deal gently with those of us who are weak because he was weak. He knows what it's like. And so much of what we're talking about here is thinking about how we approach the world. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, it's not the answer. All right? there, I mean, sure, I look like a buffoon when I'm guessing answers because actually I really do want to know the right answers. And too many times I think I do know the right answers. And that's a, you know, I'm a buffoon, okay? But really what we're talking about here is an approach of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Approach of, of recognizing I, I, I don't have all those answers. What if we could reimagine the world where the goal is not getting it all right, and so many times that means I'm right, you're wrong, and so the goal is punishment, like down with you, up with me, but instead the goal is about restoration, like the restoration of all things. Hmm. It's about this vision for heaven breaking into earth and us participating with Jesus in it, in our little conversations at school, at work, and the big things we do with our money, and the way we vote, and how we protest, and how we speak up in places that need to be spoken up to. I don't know where I'm going. You yeah, figure no, it out. I just sort of went. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so good. It's like we're imagining that following Jesus is actually supposed to be about love. It's actually supposed to be about liberation and healing. And, and that's hard and it's messy in the midst of everybody's messiness because we're all getting angry sometimes and we're all making mistakes sometimes. And some of us, when we get angry and we make mistakes, have access to weapons. So it's messy. We're not claiming it's not. But does that mean we give up on believing in this approach of love and liberation, healing, restoration? Do we just lean in harder? So this friend who texted me uh, a couple weeks ago about their anxiety, they wanted to know how I handled it. Um, And I took a little while to think and to breathe before I answered because I wanted to be honest. There's part of me that wants to give the right answers, give the, the perfect pastor answer. <laughs> Such a thing does not exist. Um, I, why didn't why I just didn't ask you? Ask you? <laughs> I knew what he was going to say. <laughs> but this is how I actually did answer. <sighs> Good morning, friend. I'm so sorry. It is so much these days. This is what's actually helping me for whatever it's worth. Remembering that God knows how small and limited I am and that Jesus shares my heart. Taking those times to just feel and pray and cry and rage. And also those times to live within my limits, to love the people close to me in practical ways and raise my voice where I can. I am praying hard for the people in the positions of power and influence to make the right choices. I wanna think with you just a little bit about that piece about 
living within my limits and loving the people close to me. Because even as I was writing it, as I was typing it, there was part of me going, this could sound like, like I'm just, you know, just turning a blind eye. I'm just saying, oh, this is just too big for me. And I don't think so. I think it's living realistically to say, I, I am small. I don't get to directly influence things half a world away. But that doesn't mean that what I do here doesn't matter. And so I want to give an example of a friend of mine who um, I always find inspiring. This is an educator friend of mine. Um, and listening to him process over the last few weeks, how he's been trying to think about in his particular context as an administrator, an educator in a high school locally, what does it look like to live like a follower of Jesus? And so the first thing that happened is that he realized, you know, as, as all these events erupted in Gaza, he realized that there was a family uh, that had begun attending the school, being part of the school um, pretty recently, who had actually immigrated from Gaza. And he said, oh, this has to be extra hard and horrible for them right now. I'm just going to reach out. I'm just going to reach out to the parent and make sure that they know, you know, that I'm thinking of them and to please let me know if, if anything were to happen, if they're, they're just anything that I need to know, any ways I could be helpful. And so we did that. And um, mom came to the school just so emotional, so grateful for the human contact and just the recognition, you know, that, yeah, that it is a hard time. And so then that got him thinking and, you know, other things, of course, events keep unfolding both locally and globally. Uh, and he thinks, well, in my particular context, um, there's actually a large Muslim student body. You could imagine a school that would have a different context, right? Maybe there'd be many, many Jewish students, but that's not his context. In his context, there are a lot of families who are Islamic, a lot of families who have immigrated um, from the Middle East relatively recently. And so I said, you know what I think the next step might be? Um, the next step might be going to the advisor for that student group and saying, should we set up like a listening session just to make sure that the students know that we're here and we're listening and do they need any care? Do they need any attention? Are there things happening that we need to be aware of, you know, in the student body? Step number two. And then step number three. Okay, this is the type of thing people get a little nervous about talking about because of politics and what if people assume I'm saying this and that and the other and and yet it's actually real life it's actually real life and do we not want our students well one don't we want to educate them as global citizens thanks bill don't we want them to know that their education matters and actually has connection to real life events and so he let everybody in the faculty know so that if they wanted to have input but he especially started coordinating with the history department and saying hey Let's have a conversation and we'll record it, you know, and we'll, but let's have a conversation about some of the best practices when big things like this happen on the international stage. Like, how do we vet our sources in terms of listening to the news to make sure we're, we're getting information from the best and least biased places? And how do we 
actually affirm the human dignity of everyone. Even as our emotions get so engaged and, and so much is happening, how do, we, how do we still make sure that we're, we're leaning in and upholding just the human, the basic human dignity of all as we get into difficult conversations and, and areas. And, and so he did. He found two history teachers who wanted to have that conversation with him and you know other faculty members who wanted to support in other ways. And I just thought it was amazing, right? To say like, there are some ways that even in difficult times we can say like, let's make sure we're leaning in with love. Let's make sure we're leaning in in ways that affirm the basic humanity and dignity of all. Not all of us have whole schools where we can put together big conversations. Um, student clubs that we're going to be able to, to organize, you know, listening sessions. But there's a good chance all of us know people, right? You might just know one person, one family that you could check in and say, how are you doing? I wonder what this is like for you. Many of us live near community centers that might have escalated fears. You know, even as several weeks ago, we had our own safety training session as a church, right? To say, hey, it's so sad, but you know, things can happen. Well, I have to imagine that both the, the Muslim centers, the mosques in our area, the synagogues, they're probably rising concerns. And just getting a note from a neighbor saying, I am your neighbor and I love you. We love you. We're glad you're part of our community. Might actually be a healing step. This isn't to take the place of using our voices politically. It's not to take the place of protest, of calling your local and elected officials. But it's a way that also just connects with our basic humanity. As much as we are outraged and want to communicate that, that we can also lean in with love. Actually lean in towards how do we build the kind of community that we want to see. Not all the answers. But an approach that we hope honors the gentle Jesus we follow. <laughs>